0: hi everyone um just up top i just wanted to say that if you've been living in a cave and you didn't know that this podcast was named after my book how to conserve conservationists i just wanted to let you know that it is because one of the highlights of my life is receiving notifications saying this lonely conservationist has read your book and this is the paragraph that resonated with them and this is the part that really hit them in the in the in the heart (laughs) and that they're really um hit home for them that's one of my favorite things ever and as an avid book reader i really really love talking about books with people and it's even more special when it's my own so if you have uh read my book i would love to chat to you about how it resonated with you but also if you could rate it and review it that would be really cool as well because that will help more people see it and then more people can learn how to conserve conservationists and that's kind of the goal of everything that I do is conserving conservationists. Um, So if you haven't, if you didn't know I had a book, um, it's on any online bookstore, it's pretty cheap, but if you still wouldn't be able to afford it, go chat to the Lonely Conservationist community and somebody might have a copy they can lend you because sharing is caring. (laughs) So yeah, come chat to me about it if you've read it and what resonated with you, what bits you liked, what bits you don't like. Um, I just love hearing about it. It's one of my favorite things. So yeah, enough about that. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome back to the How to Conserve Conservationist podcast, season two, all about you. I am Jessie and I'm here with Yeah, we're here together again (laughs) (laughs) to talk to you about episode four which is all about culture shock and reverse culture shock and I know what you're thinking like we have talked a bit about culture shock in the first season and in the book but we've never dedicated a whole chapter or episode to it and today we've pulled some blogs that have experienced different things to what we've talked about and I think the amount of people who suffer with culture shock or reverse culture shock in conservation is so vast and such a big part of the career to some people that i thought it was it was worth dedicating this episode to talking about other aspects of culture shock that we may have not discussed yet on the podcast so as per usual we'll link all the blogs that we talk about and the people that we talk about in the show notes but the two blogs today are from abigail and Ange or angela who is my friend so i call her Ange. Um, so the first blog we pulled from I really wanted to talk about because it's a culture shock that I don't think many conservationists have experienced because it's starting off your life in a remote country then coming back to try and live a a quote-unquote normal life in a, a westernized country and not really fitting in Um, which is what we experience uh, later in our lives in conservation as we start doing fieldwork overseas. But Abigail's blog really talks about getting into the nitty-gritty of growing up in a developing country.
1: She had a bit of a unique situation.
0: Yeah, but I thought it captures what we experience of feeling a bit lost between places, and I thought it was a cool blog to share with you all today.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting situation.
0: I thought I would start off by reading the first paragraphs because it really encapsulates the situation. It kind of gives the background that we're after. Um, So I'll start off by reading you uh, the start of Abigail's blog and then we can have a chat about it. So Abigail says, the idea of home has always been really tough for me. Growing up in South Sudan, where my parents worked rehabilitating refugees, I was very much a free range kid. Running barefoot across Mar roads, splashing in monsoon puddles, and sculpting creatures out of clay dug from the earth, I enjoyed the world around me. So you can imagine that moving to Ireland at the age Island? Yeah, I said that right. <laughs> so you can imagine that moving to Ireland at the age of six was a massive cultural shock. Outwardly this is where I fit in best, quote unquote. My parents are both from the UK and I'm very much white. People assume that I belong here, but as a kid I really struggled to assimilate refusing to wear shoes or play with the toys that other children loved i remember once being asked to draw a house as homework and after submitting a picture of a traditional sudanese tukul being told that i have done it wrong and to copy a friend which i found really interesting
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah because if she's in ireland no one's going to assume she has this background yeah. And what's normal for her.
0: But also the audacity she's so of the teacher for just <laughs> accepting one kind of house.
1: Well, I'm picturing like a teacher gets handed, like, here's my house and it's just a circle. And I'm like, that's not a house. That's a circle.
0: I don't know if any of you guys know, but I went to a Catholic primary school and my most traumatic memory of school is that I got in trouble for colouring Jesus purple. What was
1: your cultural background (laughs) that you decided Jesus needed to be purple?
0: The truth of the matter is that you know when you're a kid and you use your textures at varying levels and my purple texture hadn't been used in a while and it was the juiciest one. So it was was the funnest, (laughs) smoothest one to use. It was the best colour at hand. I just got carried away. (laughs) And so I handed up this like basically purple square where there used to be a nativity scene of Jesus and I was had my name written on the board and I thought the audacity of the teacher for not allowing me to color Jesus purple and I feel like I relate to Abigail in this story (laughs) because I know like isn't it a compliment that I dressed Jesus in like the most expensive material like purple is an expensive dye. So that should have been a compliment that color, royally dressed him up so much.
1: I don't know if Jesus would want that. Maybe that's the point.
0: (laughs) I don't know. But I feel like teachers need to be overall accepting and aware of other cultures because just because their children look like they're local or that they look like they have an experience, if they don't feel comfortable encapsulating the diversity of their experience in the classroom, then they just get... I don't know, it's like, it's a personal attack on you for not drawing the right house. Like, your house isn't right. Like, you don't belong here. Yeah. Because your house is wrong.
1: It sounds really fucked up. Yeah. When you put it that way. I wonder how much her teachers or friends knew about that she grew up in Sudan.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's something you would talk about, because all... I know you've experienced this too when you meet someone who has just come back from a country and all they can talk about is being in that country because it's like their whole life for a while and I don't know combined
1: with the social experience of being a six-year-old
0: yeah I don't know if you spend most of your life in South Sudan and that's just your life so you talk about your life in that context or if you feel like nobody would understand that life so you just don't talk about it and nobody knows Mm. so yeah there's a bit of ambiguity because we don't know abigail's rest of her life
1: (laughs) the way she describes it as sounded like the ladder and that she was a bit misunderstood by everyone and never felt like as part of that community
0: and that's like a real issue when you're a kid is that i feel like there's a deep-seated problem here where if you're saying that a south sudanese hut is not a house what is that message sending about culture and people like you if any kid in that class had grown up thinking only a house that looks like a traditional irish house is a house then they go overseas and they just look at anything not industrialized as not a home like not valuable and she, well, that's
1: literally yeah culture
0: yeah she <laughs> even wrote um here in her blog she wrote in ireland Na- nature is all about recreation and going to the park and experiencing nature where in Sudan nature is what they are relying on to live so when she got the judgment from her teacher about that house it instilled the notion that anyone who didn't live in an industrialized area was had no like economical standing or there was no benefit to them like it just has a very harsh message about the value of the Sudanese hut compared to the industrialised house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure this wasn't, like, the only... Uh, incident. Incident of a culture shock she experienced.
0: Yeah. And that is insane because I just, like... I can't get over the fact she must have been dealing with, like, not fitting in and the stark difference, like, the weather even. Ireland, I imagine, has a completely different yeah, climate to Sudan. And then... To be faced with, like, judgment from your teacher that your values just aren't aligning and thus aren't worthy, that will mess you up. Like, I can mm. see you getting a range of mental health impacts from being in that situation, especially being so young and not being able to rationalize your feelings or the experiences and not being able to be like, oh, well, my teacher's just closed-minded. When yeah. you're a kid... When you're a kid, that's not an option. Yeah, your teacher is, like, the one that's teaching you. She's, like, the be-all and end-all of knowledge. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I, f- I hope that if any of you have been in a similar situation where you've been brought up in a place and then moved to another place that's different and you felt a bit isolated or misunderstood, that you're not alone. But the plot twist is...
1: It's so fascinating to me because normally if you do move, even if you like go from one white English-speaking country to another, you carry an accent or something, mm-hmm. and people immediately know, oh, you're not from around here, and like for better or worse, they will treat you differently like, hopefully account that, Mm -hmm. you know, it used to be near there. But, like, poor Abigail. Like, I don't know. She had, like, a thick Sudanese accent. her parents were both from the UK, she probably has an English accent. Yeah. And from her teacher's reaction, like, she must have just, you know, as she described, visibly fit in perfectly. Yeah. So, So it was just this, like, completely, continuously misunderstood culture shock.
0: Yeah. So the plot twist is that her family decided to go back to Sudan. So I'll read you what she wrote next. Soon my family decided it was time to visit where we'd once lived. I was in my teens at the time and extremely excited to return home. So she'd grown up by this point. She's now a teenager and it would have been like a decade basically in between yeah. both experiences. The sad thing is we can't, change, we can't chase the past and as much as I'd relied on belonging in South Sudan, when we arrived there what I awaited wasn't home. The idea that people would understand me, relate to my life experience, and that nothing would have changed. But the houses I remembered had been burnt to ashes. The mud I'd once played in was replaced with concrete, and I stuck out like a sore thumb. There were even language barriers now which I could no longer understand. I was lost. So That's pretty rough. It's so rough because she just spent her whole life thinking that, oh, if I just went back to Sudan, I will belong again. yeah. And then she goes back and she still, everything's changed. And you can understand like Todd and I have both lived in a developing country and it's so fast how things develop. Like this struck yeah. you how I fast was wondering like
1: if she went to the exact same spot again mm-hmm. or if it was like they happened to be in a different town where it was a bit more built up.
0: I reckon it might have been the same spot because she said...
1: It's just become more built up in 10 years.
0: I reckon because even when we were... So I was in Indonesia in 2015 and then it changed dramatically from when I went the next year to 2016. But Todd was there for like four months and even in that time, the short time, he could see things developing and changing. And I think you don't really get this concept of being in a developing country and how quickly things develop until you're there.
1: People usually use that phrase as like a euphemism for like third world yeah. or like poor country but like
0: they it they it is an
1: apt description <laughs> they are actively quickly developing yeah their country and literally building out continuously
0: yeah so it's understandable that 10 years ago it would have been a completely different landscape and also like I know from living in places that aren't my own home that you build really significant relationships with people and then after a while that language those relationships they kind of fade away with time so i can imagine being so excited to feel like you were just gonna blend back in but you're white you have an english accent yeah (laughs) you you don't relate to any like you can't recognize the landscape anymore it would have been just disheartening
1: i could imagine like experiencing Sedan as a six year old would mm-hmm. be very different to experiencing it as a sixteen year old. Because
0: language barriers wouldn't really be a thing. Like kids kind of have their own language. Yeah, well yeah,
1: like the uh, people will treat you very differently. If you're just like the cute little white kid, they're yeah. like, oh look at him. But if you're like, you know, appear to be pretty much an adult and walking around, they're gonna treat you differently. Yeah,
0: different expectations. And also like kids just play together that you don't need to really talk. When you're a teenager, it's hard to just go off with another teenager and like connect with them, despite... Just go play in the puddles and mud. Yeah. (laughs) So, in the end, Abigail ends with that her... She didn't really fit in anywhere, but when she was in nature, then she finally realized that's where she finds her home. And I think that's a message a lot of conservationists can relate to. Despite culture shock, despite not feeling like you fit in anywhere... When you're amongst the trees and the bats and the birds then you feel comfortable and you feel at home so that was a kind of nice ending to this story yeah
1: i think abigail's life sounds like very extreme and wild in terms of culture but i think a lot of conservationists probably have like a microcosm of this happening Mm -hmm. to them yeah if you go somewhere for you know more than a few months you're going to end up making relationships and friendships Mm -hmm. and get used to that society i know you've I don't know how much you explicitly talked about it, but you'd experience going to another country where it's very much more community-orientated, you know, a small village, living with them for months, and then you come back to, like, a city in Australia, and, you know, everyone just does not give a shit about you.
0: Yeah, I talk about this in my book. One experience where I came home from volunteering. for the This is the first time I ever went to a quote unquote developing country when I went to Thailand when I was 18 and I was there for three months no I was there for just a month Um, but I was like working in a project where I was living with people every day getting dirty I wasn't a tourist or anything like I felt like I was immersed in the environment yeah and I came home and I was wearing my volunteer t-shirt camo pants and my friend picks me up and she's like can you come return this dress with me and she takes me to like this high street Um, with all these like boutiques on it so it wasn't just like a mall it was like a boutique shop and literally nobody said it nobody looked at me nobody spoke to me and I felt invisible I felt like what a boyfriend must feel like in one of those (laughs) shops. Like, I felt honestly like somebody could come and whack me over the head and nobody would notice. Like, nobody could know my presence. Also, I'm, like, six foot tall, and I probably wouldn't fit into anything in this boutique for young petite women. (laughs) I just have this, like, experience where I go into clothes shops and people are like, oh, you don't belong here. So there's, like, that mixed with the culture shop. But that I just felt literally invisible in my own state in my own town so I can understand that part of like not fitting in in a place where you're supposed to belong um so as kind of a juxtaposition the next blog we chose is Angie's blog and her blog is actually about mental health and a really bad boss she had which I talk about so much in the first season of the book but there's like one part of Angie's story that I thought was really important to like counter the grief of not belonging somewhere after you have belonged and your story is more like you're in a new place and culturally
1: just classic culture shock yeah
0: there's like culturally things that just don't com- compute like things that are like so normalized to you and so like first nature that you just can't communicate because it's just the ideals the values of the other cultures are so different yeah so to give some context Ange was doing her masters, I think it's her masters in um Sulawesi, which is an Indonesian island. Everyone like I've had trauma from Indonesia, Ange talks about her trauma from Indonesia and there's yeah. also another blog, Louise, oh no, and Saf who She always...
1: points out her bad boss in Indonesia was a westerner. Yeah, yeah. So. But
0: then there's also like Louise and Saf both have blogs about getting trauma from the Indonesia. The people you
1: know does seem to be a trend. So
0: if you have trauma from Indonesia, it's normal. It's okay. <laughs> and I it's not to say that Indonesians are inherently bad or the country is inherently bad. Is I have a lot of friends there. I had a good time. The food's amazing. There's just some things that are so jarringly different to westernised life. Um And I guess this is the example that Ange said. Uh, Firstly, she sets the scene and she says, when it comes to the environment, basic conservation concepts are lagging or lacking from the education system, even at a tertiary level, which is quite evident within the community. And she doesn't really go into this much in the blog, but I know that she said before that it's like, it's hard to do your research properly and like work within the confines of your universities requirements for ethics when the people uh in your field staff are just like oh just pick it up just take it with you oh do you want do you want us to like capture this for you and you're like no no leave it there like we're doing so
1: like she's talking about like super precise technical ethics of studying animals
0: no even like more basic because I think there's like a culture of like capturing and taking things so yeah. if she's like oh I'm interested in this one and she wants to monitor its behavior or like take uh, measurements or something and they're like yeah. oh yeah like let's just take it from the environment and she's like yeah. no 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 <laughs> we, <laughs> we need to protect these animals and we just need to monitor them
1: there's a bit of like well, hold up guys <laughs> we spent two- us white people have spent 200 years fucking up <laughs> animals lives to quote study them like we can do this better now there's no need to just pick it up and look at it
0: yeah well and also like we don't need to take it back for any black yeah. market trade don't
1: that's that's all i picture like a 1800s british person in safari gear just just
0: Shooting a bird out of yeah, the sky. just
1: seeing a bird, like, oh, that's a different colour, shoots it.
0: Takes it back for the collection. Takes it back minute, in a ship. Like Wallace, your ship of specimens burns to the ground. <laughs> that yeah. was all for nothing.
1: It's all about the specimens.
0: Yeah, all about the specimens.
1: But nowadays you like, just take a photo of it. Yeah. You say, there's the bird.
0: Photography is the new hunting. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, so this is her experience of a bit of culture shock. She said, An experience that shook me up was watching a 45-year-old man, who was my guide, go into a complete meltdown, meltdown at 6.30 in the morning when his wife passed out from the pain of a, of appendicitis. He thought she had died. Trying to, get into, trying to get her into the recovery position and check her pulse alone was impossible as he continued to violently shake her. A first aid course does not teach you how to calm down a hysterical person. I couldn't calm him down. Nobody had any phone reception for me to call the university's emergency line, and we were four hours away from the nearest hospital and had no car. It was a nightmare, and the actions that followed for the next four days, which I put down to a lack of education, were easily some of the most frustrating moments of my life. The lack of common sense was mind-blowing and literally life-threatening. Um, So that's a bit insane. That, that's pretty crazy. So... The, this person, this guy's wife passes out from appendicitis and, and just trying to like... Famously
1: check, hurts a lot.
0: Yeah, check her pulse, put her into the recovery position, keep they, her safe, do everything she's trained to do in first aid. Yeah. While this guy is just violently shaking her, thinking she's dead. And oh my Which God. is understandable. It is understandable because nobody there has had proper first aid... Not nobody... But unless you're in a role that requires it, you would not have had proper first aid training. And even, like, Todd has had personal experiences going to a a hospital and them just Googling his symptoms in front of him and trying to jab him with needles in the Uh, wrong spots. I was going to
1: say I've got, like, (laughs) three or four stories from our lives that are actually shockingly similar to this, but also, you know, not as uh, life-threatening. I just can't imagine... It was a bit more funny than... uh, (laughs) Horrifying like this.
0: I just can't physically imagine trying to deal with someone who's hysterically thinks their wife is dead and you trying to act rationally to like... Because in your brain, you know what to do and their life is actually in danger. Yeah. And you're trying to save this woman's life and this guy is like... Because he already thinks she's dead, he's preventing her from living. That's like the irony of the situation.
1: What? that's that's sort of the horror isn't it of like if you are four hours from a hospital with no car Mm -hmm. and like she she might be you know already gone at that stage that's
0: what i thought about you when i heard you at two in the morning and a big crack in the bathroom and i didn't know the emergency number i didn't have a car i didn't know what the hospital was yeah. Thank God. I had this vision that I'd run into the bathroom and see like Todd's skull cracked open with blood everywhere. But thank God he had just passed out and it must have been his arm or something that hit the toilet bowl that made like a big noise. But I was freaking out that I wouldn't even know what to do in this situation. So I can really... I was in the position where I was like, Ange, without the hysterical man, and it was still horrifying.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember... When you busted your ankle, yeah, in the forest, we're in the middle of nowhere, and you came back and like, oh, and all the guys were like, oh, you know, give you know, rest your ankle, you know, have, take it easy. And I, you know, had my basic first aid training, like elevates, apply ice, yeah. And I was like, man, it's a shame, you know, we haven't got ice or anything. There's only so much we can do to look after you at this stage. I'm like, oh, if you want ice, we can just go get some. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's an option in That's the middle option. of nowhere <laughs> I'm like. But they come back. Not that they, they haven't got fridges, but like we were just literally in the middle of nowhere.
0: They came back with a huge brick They of came ice. back with bags of ice. No, it was like one solid brick. It was my foot oh, yeah. in a tub with like a literal brick of ice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but they were like, why do you want Why do you, want, why do you want ice? Cause I'm like, to stop the swelling. And like, like, that's, I'm not saying it's an education thing, it's definitely just a cultural thing of like that's not how they react to that situation
0: their advice for me snapping a tendon was to massage it get a massage if it hurts they said "Do if you go to the hospital they will laugh at you for going (laughs) if you haven't had a massage and i was like no freaking way am i letting anyone near my freaking damaged tendon (laughs) (laughs) especially for a massage like that is ridiculous so There's just these times where you have a westernized version of first aid or like health and safety, which I think everyone views as like the foremost important thing to know in a situation. Yeah. And then it's so challenging when you feel like people's health, safety or lives are at risk and you're trying to do the thing that you've been trained to do, especially when it's your own body and is so frustrating when you can't communicate to someone else how to look after your body correctly yeah.
1: so i can't remember chris Hatfield's son he does um a youtube channel called rare earth oh yeah he like travels and talks about actually learning conservationists really would love rare earth it's it, really good this
0: guy goes around and talks about like he goes to different countries and talks about like um stories that nobody really talks about about these countries
1: yeah yeah like <laughs> 10 minute youtube documentaries I guess
0: that's why it's rare earth. It's like rare information about places on earth.
1: Well, I think it was, it was meant to come from, like, his dad's an astronaut. And it was like, oh, man, it's, it's rare to get come across some earth. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had an almost a very similar story of, like, they were in a um, little, uh, they call different things in different countries, but, like, a motorbike... That you ride on the sidecar bear as a taxi. Tech,
0: what are they? A tuk tuk. Tuk tuk type thing. Tuk tuk, bear check, whatever you call them. They're
1: riding the, yeah one of those um, with him and his partner, and his partner gets bitten by a monkey. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh shit, we better go to the hospital and get a tetanus shot." But the driver of the tuk tuk is like, "Oh no, you got bit by a monkey." He's like immediately like, "Oh, let me take you to um, my friend's house. He'll brew you up some like herbal tea." that will help, like, like, please, you know, let me drive you there, let me, uh, he was like, absolutely being the nicest guy and trying to help and being very, very, you know, insistent, Insistent. but it's like, no, we want to go to the hospital, (laughs) (laughs) that's what we want to do, and it's literally just culture, because like, to him, obviously to the driver, like, going to the hospital is just out of, out of the... He could never afford it he would never think to do that yeah it's just not in his world to go to the hospital oh
0: yeah maybe if it's you're like, sick
1: you just go to your friend's house and get some herbal tea that's what you do
0: maybe that's an economical thing as well because i had i was really sick with the flu or something a cold and i did go to the lady down the road who did give me a herbal tea and i did feel so much better i don't know <laughs> what was in this drink it's, yeah but it legit helped but for <laughs> i think there's a difference between Well, at least from a Westerners perspective, there's a difference between having a cold or being sick in that regard to having like a medical emergency, like a bite where you might have rabies. And I've never thought of this before, but you're right. This guy may like hospitals and medical help is probably out of his concept of a possibility. And that's why he's recommending these things. Yeah, which goes because that's what he knows. So in Indonesia, there was no middle class. There was like really, really, really rich Chinese people in mansions, and they would own malls and like really luxurious places. And across the road from the mansions are like little houses and like huts on the side. Well, in of the road. this part of
1: Indonesia we were in. Yeah.
0: So there's like thousands of islands. Sulawesi might be completely different to where we were in Medan. Yeah. But it was just this huge juxtaposition between the really, really wealthy Chinese people and the. Like poorer in that area, uh, Indonesians.
1: I think that's a lot of the reason why your Indonesian friends they will say, "Oh, just get a massage," because that's what you do when you have a sore, something. Yeah. Like they wouldn't think to go to the Chinese hospital.
0: Yeah, and that's true. Like when we went to the hospital, it, there was no line, there was no wait. You can just walk in for a in. city of like
1: <laughs> twenty million people. Yeah,
0: because like nobody was... really has access to these facilities. Yeah. And you can kind of tell from the quality of service in. <laughs> 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 I literally pulled Todd out of um and like where the nurses are who was like kept jabbing him with a saline, you know, when they give you the drip and they couldn't find your vein and I just pulled him out because Todd was getting stressed. I'm not good in any hospital situation and I just went to the servo or for those of you not in Australia, uh petrol station, service station. <laughs> and got, like, ten bottles of Gatorade. Yeah. <laughs> it was like... No, we were
1: literally, like, the nurse was struggling to the point where she went and got the doctor. Yeah. And the doctor's like, what? what's going on? And I'm like, how about instead of injecting me, I would just drink lots of... Electrolytes. Da- ele- sports drinks or yeah. something. Would that do the same thing? That was like, no. <laughs> <You idiot." laughs>
0: anyway, like, it did kind of... It made Todd better. But we had to take matters into our own hands. It was just so painful to see him being jabbed so many times and I don't know it wasn't getting anywhere
1: yeah I don't know what, what, what the problem I had a weird hand
0: yeah this also <laughs> reminds me of like so I have chronic dermatitis and to the extent where sometimes my hands look like they've been deep fried like mm. it is disgusting my hands look horrible and so in lots of countries I've been to I've had to go to the doctor about dermatitis but every single time if I'm in Africa, Asia, like wherever I am, there's like the doctor's office with one desk. And there's a doctor sitting at the desk and it's an empty room. Just imagine like an empty room, one singular desk in the middle of the room, a doctor at the desk. Every single time he looks at me, he pull he opens a singular drawer and hands me a bag of little blue pills with no description on the bag. <laughs> Not like I don't know what these are. Every time I have this problem, no matter where I am in the world, I just get a bag of little blue pills from the one desk drawer of the one desk in the room.
1: (laughs) The cure-all.
0: It's like, I don't know. And also, I also got, I had a foot infection because I was working on a shark boat and I must have stepped in something that had parasites and they gave me eye drops for my foot infection so (laughs) it must have been like the same active ingredient or something but i just feel like in western culture even if it was the same active ingredient and it would still get the job done you would never recommend eye ointment for a foot (laughs) disease
1: i would hope not yeah I think, yeah, like, you can have culture shock in, like, the food or the language or, like, just the social norms. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, like, medical emergencies... Then it's, it hits... Your different. patience for it just runs out so much quicker.
0: Yeah, exactly. And there's a difference between... So what Andrew's experiencing is, like, frustration. I think what Abigail's experiencing is more isolation. And that's why I just wanted to touch on these two different stories because I think there is definitely ample amounts of both frustration and isolation when experiencing culture shock or reverse culture shock. And especially, like, for me, a lot of the frustration came from coming back home and I had both frustration and isolation when no one can understand what I'm going through and, like, then I feel alone because they don't understand, but I can't get them to understand because they've been living their lives.
1: (laughs) You got so used to just walking down the road to the lady... And eating breakfast with her. Yeah. And, like, you you, it wasn't a restaurant, but it was just a lady who would cook food for you for money. Yeah. That's a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that sounds
1: But, bad. like, you sit down and, like, have a chat. And yeah. Like, you know? But the, in Western countries, it's much more business transactional. You don't have a chat with a person there.
0: You know what I really worry about? So in all the developing countries I've been in, even the less developing of the developing, like even, <laughs> like Sri Lanka has really rich parts. And when I was in Sri Lanka, I was really lucky enough to stay with a family who uh, owned a coconut plantation. So they were pretty well off and their house was huge and had statues in it. And I was like, whoa, Jeez. marble floors, yeah, like a nice house. And even then, just when I got up early and I would like sit in the kitchen with auntie and have a tea and talk before everyone got up. I worry about in Western cultures, especially in Australia, I don't really want to speak for everywhere, but sending the elders off to a nursing home is like, I feel the way we perceive ourselves in Western cultures is very selfish, whereas the way we see, or the way I experience uh, cultures in developing countries to be is very communal. And I worry that if I get old and don't have kids, even if you do have kids, right? They send you off to a nursing home anyway. <laughs> but like, where's the respect for the elders? Where's the knowledge sharing? Where's that integration of values in like learning things from grandma? Yeah. I just feel like if you shun people who are inconvenient to you, you miss a whole aspect of life. I don't know I just it worries me about getting older Is like so Todd and I don't want kids and then so there's like who will look after us but that's kind of selfish expecting people to look after you but even if you don't like even if you do have kids what's to say they just won't send you off to a home or go live their own life like there's no communal certainty like there is in uh, other countries and I say this because in Indonesia uh, grandparents have the highest most respect and so I was living with two women and one of them spent a day taking me to their village where their mum was basically she was basically dead. She looked <laughs> like a corpse. She was still alive, but she she was on her last legs.
1: Certainly on a deathbed. But
0: it was the highest of honors for her to take me to see her mum because even though she was basically like non functional as a person, it was like the the most pr- pride and joy to showcase um her her mum to me. And i read a, a book about like the different uh islands in indonesia and a similar story happened to the author of the book where she was shown legitimately a dead grandparent who had died like, already had passed. yeah because it was still an honor to show off this person yeah and it really just is something i think about a lot is the cultural difference of like how self-centered we seem to be in westernized countries where it's all about what is my life what is my goals what is my dreams and you kind of push aside anybody that seems to be a bit inconvenient to you and to getting where you want to go and it kind of makes me sad that we don't live in a society where it's like that respect for your elders is there and especially with COVID we've seen the way that a lot of young people are out partying because it's not their demographics that's the most impacted.
1: Like, it's not my problem. Yeah, like, I
0: can probably recover from this, but there's a lot of people who can't probably recover from this, and Mm. they're just being dismissed. And I feel like in developing countries, there's more of an awareness about the importance of elders in communities.
1: I think what you're talking about, it's definitely, like, mostly a British-American- Australian thing. Mm. Like, I'm pretty sure, well, like, both our family background from Italy. Mm-hmm. So, like, we know, like, at least back then, it was very normal to have the whole family under one roof. Yeah. And, like, you have grandma and stuff. Nonna
0: makes the special sauce yeah. that if you eat anybody else's bolognese, you are dead.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a lot of respect for, like, the elder people, the family. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you wouldn't send them off to a home. You'd and look after them.
0: So my grandparents, unfortunately, died before I was born, but I spent a lot of time with Todd's Italian grandparents, And I cannot imagine them being in a home or anything. Like, they're just so, like, fiercely independent right to the very last second that it was, like, the culture of I don't need any help, which, again, is detrimental in a way. It was for them. But it's, like, that fierce I bring culture to the family. Like, you come here to eat. And, like, up until they died, we came there every week to eat at their house. It was, like, a culture of, like you sit at the table and there's knowledge sharing and we hear about their lives. And yeah. I loved that aspect of having your grandparents because there's still that cultural appreciation and and validity to like spending time with your grandparents and getting something out of it.
1: I know they were just constantly, mildly insulted that I wasn't living in their house. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think there's like... I don't know if there's a word for like maybe it's cultural immersion where you like go over to another country or like I spend time with Todd's grandparents and then everyone's (laughs) spending time together it feels good and you're like what have I missed out on my whole life yeah like this void has been filled and I think that's why reverse culture shock hits so hard is because you finally feel like oh we're all together we're all in the community everyone's helping each other out if I'm sick I'll go get the specialty from Nonna if I'm Like uh, if I got a bit more time today, I'll go help the kids with their homework or I'll see what like mom's doing. I'll help her in the kitchen. Mm. It seemed like you always had a purpose and it didn't have to be a big life purpose. Like I'm going to be the first astronaut on the moon. It was like I have a functioning role in this family. So to come home and like you sit around the TV. And there's one layer of technology with the TV, but then everyone's on their iPads and phones. as like a second layer of technology. <laughs> yeah. And nobody's engaging or talking. It's so isolating.
1: It's yeah. I was thinking, I was picturing like in, it's much more popular to be like living alone. Mm-hmm. Like you go to work and then you come home and you just sit there alone. Yeah. Or not like plenty of people do that. But yeah, like you say, even if you do live with like a family, it's much more like everyone keeps themselves. Yeah. So. I don't know. Where's like, is it a British thing? I do don't you know. Mean? Like where does it come from?
0: Just being alone.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I think, if... I think the like the Americans are very obsessed with individualism.
0: That's true. All about <laughs> <laughs> freedom and my rights and like I don't care if you don't like me having a gun it's my right to have a gun.
1: It, yeah, it's it's better off if I have a better life than for the greater good of society to be better. And we've seen that in Which the, is a trade off to me. <laughs>
0: But in Australia, I think we're just... Well, we descent from the British and, like, That's European what makes me countries. think it's British. Because it's weird. So in South Australia, where Todd and I come from, they're all wogs. Like, every, everyone is either descendant of a Greek or an Italian, with a few English people smattered in.
1: I've heard some people take offense to that to the term still.
0: Can, can we use it as Italian descent?
1: <laughs> we're taking ownership of
0: it. We're taking ownership of the word. <laughs> My brother called himself at school "Walk in a Box," so <laughs> oh, there's like a fast food chain here called. I was going to say Walk was in a in box. A bog, it was
1: w- in a box at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: there's a fast food chain here called Walk in a Box, so it is like a play on that. But I feel like he's owning it. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, South Australia is the only non-colonized state. No, what what is the. Well, we're oh, very, we're very only... proud to not have when... uh, those
1: criminal, criminals, criminals, forced colonizers. Yeah,
0: so we're the only non-convict state, which means like there's less British people in South Australia. It's more people mm-hmm. who have fled later in life to go set up a new life in Australia.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: So, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. If <laughs> I don't know if there's a difference between people's family experiences in South Australia to the rest of Australia. Where it's more like descendant from convicts and because we are descendant from convicts is that like we've lost a lot of the culture because it's like a fend for yourself like i'm only here because i stole bread and i'm just trying to get by in this prison of a country
1: i know we have an australian family member Mm -hmm. who's like i guess in his 60s now but he remembers growing up like this is what makes it, it's hard to tell whether it's time or place difference yeah but he's like you know very australian sort of background and he remembers being like a teenager and is like yep i'm gonna leave home now i want nothing to do with my parents
0: mm-hmm.
1: i'm gonna have my own life and like he, i was like oh it was a bad with your parents like you wanted to escape them I was like nah, no absolutely lovely people but like i couldn't imagine like living with them past yeah. the age of 15
0: yeah so i'll be interested to see like where you come from in the world and like the extent of the culture shock you experience and like the different cultural experiences that have value to me like obviously for me it's all about that connectivity and community that i really value and i guess that's kind of why i accidentally created lonely conservationists because i was obviously feeling lonely in a western country and i wanted that connectivity again Mm-hmm. um that's obviously something I really value but I'll be interested to know like where you come from and what you really valued when you traveled from the other culture and then what led you to feel such insane culture shock either there or when you
1: got back I reckon when you're there you notice all the stuff that you don't like and agree with and when you come back you that's only then you realize oh they were they are they were a pride <laughs> about some things I sort of miss how this is one things.
0: day and i never forget it I was in Sri Lanka and I just said on a whim because I'm obsessed with food like I talk about food all the time Mm. I said because I thought there was no possibility of this coming to fruition I feel like a croissant because why would you think that croissants are any way shape or form accessible in Sri Lanka right I just offhand said I really feel like a croissant auntie bless her soul Took me. She's like, get in the car. Took me to a bakery. Let's just go get a croissant. Then got me a croissant. (laughs) And I was like, this is such commitment to my happiness. (laughs) Like, if I was at home and I was like, I want a croissant, people would be like, "Mm -hmm, whatever. They wouldn't even take in what I said. And I was so bewildered that people had listened to what I had said to the extent that they actioned it. Because so, (laughs) so many times in. In Australia I'll just talk and it's like nobody listens. And <laughs> not looking at anyone. To... <laughs> but it like in a in a time in a place where I just offhandedly said something mm. that someone made happen, it was the most beautiful time of my life. <laughs> I got my Christmas <laughs> Such a beautiful note. Um, so like we like to end on, what can we do to help people experiencing culture shock if they've come from another country in Australia, or they have come back from another country, what can we do to make their lives easier?
1: I don't know. <laughs> we didn't think of a solution to this problem.
0: I can tell you something. If I come back from another country and With you this?
1: say, I sort of vaguely feel like a croissant. <laughs> Don't just take that as like, mm, yeah, croissants are good. Take that as, Get oh shit, hop in the car. Get me
0: a goddamn croissant. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is what I wish people had done. So I got back from Thailand in this time where this shows my age. Smartphones were getting to the peak popularity. Like pe- everyone had started to accumulate one. Like I didn't have one yet. But I was a late bloomer in the smartphone life. But everyone was starting to get smartphones. And it was at that time where notifications weren't just a thing that happened in the background. There was only a couple of apps at that time. So you looked at every notification you had. Like it was, I'll disrupt this conversation to look at this notification. Mm. So I came back from Thailand and I my friends took me up to dinner and I was sitting at the table. And I, I think I write about this in the book, but there was two... Friends and they were glued to their phones and it was like I didn't exist at that table nobody was looking at each other nobody was talking and I'd come back from that connectivity of no technology and everyone talking and playing cards and no did I come back from Madagascar? I don't know there's like times when I was away where you're playing cards with people you're looking at the stars you're drinking, you're talking Mm. there's no ounce of technology in your lifestyle that like acts as a barrier to uh, what is it called? Like I feel like everything you
1: don't like about Western culture is just smartphones. <laughs> no, but <laughs> That's not really Western. I just culture. thought
0: it's so rude to not have seen your friend for months, to come home, take yeah. them out for dinner and ignore them.
1: I think what that is just rude. The
0: hell. So I'm suggesting like if somebody comes back from any country, it could be Germany, it doesn't even have to be developing, like talk to them, listen to them and offer yourself as a friend and say like, "Look, I know it's challenging when you've been immersed in in a different culture or country to have to come back home. Is there anything I can help you with? Or Mm. anything like...
1: Would you like a croissant?
0: Would you like a croissant? I think that's what everyone's first question should be. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like...
1: There's another, I think a better example of cultural shock is when you came back from Indonesia we went with your family to a very fancy restaurant oh yeah (laughs) where they served what was the type of food nepalese food nepal food nepalese
0: nepalese
1: is that the i i don't know if that's how you do it it is surely it's how you do it very it was you know curries curries and uh we all sit down we order we start eating And I look to my right and I see Jessie just going at it with her hands while everyone else had the knife and fork, you know, napkin laid out on their lap. Like, <laughs> this is fancy restaurant. I
0: just forgot that cutlery was a thing because I hadn't used it for six months. <laughs> I forgot that it was even a requirement. I forgot people used it. I forgot it existed.
1: I don't know what the culture is in Nepal, but... They, there's a chance they eat with their hands. You're probably eating it correctly.
0: Yeah, the worst part is, in places where you do legally eat with your hands, there's water bowls on legally. the table for you to wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to do in that situation once I saw Todd waving a fork in my face. Well, yeah, now you've, like... <laughs> now I've just...
1: <laughs> made a mess in your hands and there's no way, way to clean it. the bathroom
0: and clean my hands. But, yeah, like, in that situation, I feel like you shouldn't make fun of people for... Things that they've picked up or things that are now important to them, no matter how weird they are, I think it's a real learning opportunity. Like the teacher in Abigail's story could have been like, Oh, Abigail, like, what kind of house is this? Like, what's your experience with this house? I just feel like it, it would have been
1: yeah amazing learning opportunity for the whole class yeah
0: exactly like if abigail could stand in front of the the class and talk about her experience with this house and maybe they could have done a new assignment looking at the different kinds of houses and if everyone picked a country and looked at the houses there because when my friends from england showed me the streets i'm like whoa so english the houses
1: You can yeah
0: <laughs> like you can tell like english american you like, would not
1: confuse norway with england no
0: like so many like i swear each individual country has very distinct houses so that yeah. could have been like an amazing assignment for primary school students like somebody out there should teach that because it's a cool <laughs> learning experience of that diversity you just inspire
1: things. a whole class of architects yeah
0: but i think like looking at It's easy to see someone who's come back from overseas and you might be a bit jealous of them. And they're like, oh, when I was in Uzbekistan, (laughs) this happened and I ate this and blah, blah. Did you know they do this? It might be so easy to get frustrated with people when they do this. Yeah. But it's really important to understand that this was their whole life for a chunk of time, no matter how small. And it might have changed their life. Like it's so easy to have epiphanies and life awakening moments when you're somewhere else yeah and no matter your position you shouldn't cheapen their experiences because when i came back from indonesia this is what basically the whole last season was about is i basically was having mental health issues but i couldn't talk to anybody because they didn't understand what i've gone through and even todd was with me and couldn't really understand because he was a different experience yeah so i think it's really important to be a good friend First and foremost, a good colleague, a good person, really reach out to someone who's just come back from another country and you think it may be experiencing culture shock because even if they don't realise that they need that person, I think it's, like, integral to their quality of life to have someone that they can really talk to about their experiences and understand. Well, not even understand, but just, like, give them the time of day yeah
1: that's all they really need <laughs>
0: yeah because it like I think a lot of people don't understand how isolating it can be especially if you're a mother or a neighbour or someone who's just like oh, they shouldn't like you can't complain they travel so much like stop bragging about your life That it could come across that way yeah, but I think because Todd said that in his old job there was somebody that came home from South Africa and that, well, that's all they talked about. But he was like, "Oh, I'm sympathetic because I understand what that's like to come back from somewhere."
1: Yeah, it's all you want to talk about. Yeah, because it's amazing. Cause
0: everything's so different. Yeah, and it's like yeah, it, different from the norm. So I feel like I, all of our advice is like just being a good peop just be a good person. <laughs> be better, damn it. Just be better. So like I hate that. from my traumatic experience of the madagascar war that said be better oh yeah um but like if we're as inclusive to as many people as possible and sympathetic to them and maybe like if you have a grandma or a, a grandpa that's in a nursing home or like they're your family think they're a bit inconvenient. Like, <laughs> hey, maybe just go give them a visit and spend some time with them and like learn from them. Visit I your like... dang grandma. She <laughs> loves you. Visit your dang grandma. <laughs> I I know it's like it feels like a chore <laughs> sometimes, but I feel like everything is a learning opportunity. Like the house drawings a learning opportunity. Your elders are a learning opportunity. The grief you feel about coming back or being isolated or something like working out why you feel that way and what's missing in your life and how you can get it back is a learning opportunity. So I guess our two pieces of advice is learn from everything (laughs) (laughs) and be sympathetic to people. Hmm.
1: Good Uh, advice.
0: Yeah. I think this will help people a lot. So I hope if you're experiencing um, cultural shock, or reverse culture shock i don't think many people will right now because it's you're not allowed to travel and if you're traveling shame on you
1: yeah i guess people don't have to worry about it for a while
0: but if you have in the past or if like you know like my trauma with indonesia lasted a long time so if you're still dealing with some kind of culture shock like Mm. an abigail her feelings of isolation was until she came back to sudan when she was a teenager so it can, yeah the effects of it can last a long time so if you're suffering with culture shock or reverse culture shock right now just know you're not alone and tell other people um to listen to this podcast so we can say be a good human listen be a good person don't hide away in technology and go visit your damn grandma And that was our episode on culture shock i hope you got something out of it especially i know a lot of you out there have experienced culture shock yourself so i just wanted to add in these two facets of the experience haven't been touched on before uh if you want to get more involved in the community or read more stories of conservationists out there head over to the website www.learningconservationists.com. you can check us out on instagram at learning conservationist or twitter at learning conserve and why not check out my book where you can read all about my experiences with culture shock as well. And lastly, if you want to support our projects, head over to patreon.com slash lonely conservationists. And that's all for now. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye.